The Nonprofit Hour, a weekly look at Portland's nonprofits and do-gooders, with interviews, profiles, and documentaries. This is the Nonprofit Hour on X-Ray FM. The show is brought to us by the Media Institute for Social Change, a public interest media lab that works to inspire, empower, and engage emerging media producers. I'm Jason Dennington. Today we'll hear from Robin Tenenbaum, executive producer of Livewire Radio. Livewire is a nationally broadcast live show based here in Portland and recorded both locally at the Alberta Rose Theatre as well as in venues across the country. Robin talked with our host, Phil Bussey, about the show's evolution and why arts matter in the nonprofit world. Northwest native Luke Burbank hosts Live Wire Radio, as well as producing his own regular podcast and being a frequent guest on NPR's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. His personality and sense of humor come through on the show frequently through his retelling of personal stories. And to open the show, here's his monologue, Square Pegs. The theme this hour uh, we're going with is Square Pegs because a couple of our guests, we've got Dan Harmon, the creator of Community, and um, Jackie Cation, who does a really great podcast called The Dork Forest. They've, they've both made uh, a lot of their comedy about the idea of being a square peg, about not fitting in. And I was thinking about that idea this week because there is a place that I've never felt really like I fit in, and that place is known as Facebook, uh, also known as the suburbs of the internet. Um, and I think it's because I look at what people are posting and I just think, what is wrong with you? It's pretty much someone I went to high school with who's now posting about how the Obamunists are taking all of the guns away, <laughs> except for at gay weddings where they're actually arming the grooms just to mess with faith, flag, and freedom-loving Americans. Or it's like a, a couple that's having a baby and they want to tell you what gender the baby is going to be, but they can't just tell you it's going to be a girl. So they have to get like in a hot air balloon and then they have a cake that's made in the shape of a stork and they have to drop it at a target in the middle of a field that's surrounded by their family. And if the cake breaks open and the inside is pink, it means that I hate them. Um, Um, I want to also mention to Maine Public Radio that if you want to rethink this whole thing, um, that's cool. Um, so I, I, I realized that like, I have just for now years of my life been just scrolling through Facebook, looking at this stream of information and not really enjoying it, but doing it because without it, I would just be sitting alone with my thoughts and feelings. <laughs> and ain't nobody got time for that, right? So last week, had a couple glasses of wine. I was feeling impulsive and I deactivated my Facebook account, which was actually kind of scary. It was like I was lowering a pillow over an old, weak friend who I kind of hated. Why are you doing this, Luke? Uh, but like, the second that the account was deactivated, it was, I felt this lightness pass through me, like, oh my God, I'm free. Like, I don't have to patrol this thing to untag myself from photos where, 
Because from some angles, I look weirdly like Eleanor Roosevelt. Um, and not like young, cool Eleanor Roosevelt, like old Eleanor Roosevelt. Um, or I don't have to see posts from my Uncle Mike about the New World Order, and I don't mean the wrestlers, I mean the like end times conspiracy theory. So once I was detached from Facebook, I was feeling really good. I was looking at people who were on Facebook, like in a restaurant, you see people scrolling through, and I was just like, you pathetic sheeple. You guys are just trapped, man, in a prison of your mind called Facebook. And I'm like, just living life. And then yesterday was my birthday. And, um, and I woke up and I was like, time to feel the love. Time to have a lot of people who I barely know take one second out of their life to write happy birthday on my wall. And I looked at my phone and just a tumbleweed blew across the screen. And I started to really rethink Facebook because it kinda, it, I have to say, I like that feeling of people saying happy birthday to me. And, and I started to kind of re-examine the whole thing and I thought, yeah, okay, Facebook has annoying people on it, but the real world has annoying people on it too, right? So maybe the deal with Facebook is to just, like in real life, uh, go towards the things that are good and like block the things that are bad. So after uh, some consideration and because I have my phone with me, on stage, because of course I do. I thought I would just reactivate my Facebook page. And I don't, if you guys are okay with this, you guys just give me a minute here. Okay. Back on. You guys, it doesn't, it doesn't have gluten in it. It's all right. It's okay, everybody. I'm logging in. You gotta be f***ing kidding me, Uncle Mike. That was a taste of Livewire Radio from their host, Luke Burbank. And you can catch their next Portland live show recording in person at the Alberta Rose Theater on September 29th. Now on to Phil Bussey's conversation with Livewire's executive producer, Robin Tenenbaum. This is Phil Bussey. It's the Nonprofit Hour on X-Ray FM. I am so happy to have Robin Tenenbaum in our studios. She's executive producer of Live. Wire Radio. How are you doing? Perfect. I'm great. How are you? Good. Good. Nice to be here. Yeah, and and I. So you guys are sort of. You've been a little bit of gypsies, and you, first off, congratulations. Thirteen years. Thank you. Yeah, lucky Thank thirteen. You. Lucky thirteen. Somewhere around there. Yep. It's been and, a great ride. And you guys have been a little bit of gypsies. You you uh you were at the Aladdin for a number of years. We were at the Hollywood. We started at the Hollywood Theater for a couple of shows back in 2000. 2004 and then quick and then moved to the Hollywood after three shows and then I mean moved to the Aladdin after after three shows and been at Alberta Rose stayed there yep and been at Mississippi Studios right we had a little season at mission the Mission Theater yep we're we're nothing if we're not adaptable <laughs> we that is one of our biggest strengths so yeah we've been uh, we've moved around based on uh, different needs we've had all uh, there were always reasons behind the moves. Uh, with, from the Aladdin, we were there for about six years, and we were doing monthly shows. And we, as a radio show, we wanted to go national, and we needed to be a weekly show. So we needed to have content every week. So we moved to a smaller venue in order to produce more shows. So we started to produce two shows back-to-back -back every two weeks, as opposed to one show 
every month or two shows every month. So there were there was method behind the madness. And now you guys are where? Now we are moving back. We've got um, we've got four shows at the Alberta Rose Theater. We've got one show, our annual Wordstock show at the Aladdin, and then we're doing our first ever brunch at um, back at Mississippi Studios, also for Wordstock. So we're doing a Saturday night show and then a um, Sunday brunch show. Uh, with mimosas and Bloody Marys uh, at Mississippi Studios, and then we're hitting that, the road. Uh, Bloody Marys and mimosas for the audience or for the host? That's the yes, the, yes, and yes, and yes <laughs> for everyone. Yes. So, and then we're headed to um, our two biggest uh, OPB at the moment is our third biggest audience behind Chicago and Seattle. So we're doing two shows in Seattle this season, and we're going to be in Chicago. And we're going to be in Phoenix because we have a conference there. So we had to be there anyway. And we air on KJZZ. So we're going to be in Phoenix. And then we're going out to New York for a special project um, in conjunction with PRI, 92nd Street Y, and Mike.com. So we're excited. So, that, yeah, there's a lot of exciting things to talk about for the current and upcoming seasons. I want to roll back a little bit and go back to the beginning. Hmm. And nice. why why did you think that uh, this would be a good idea? <laughs> Uh, who doesn't love live, live radio? Um, it was uh, it was a few people in town's great idea. It was um, it was something I was thinking about. It was something Jim Brumberg was thinking about when he opened Mississippi Studios. He wanted to do. We'd known each other from San Francisco from a show down there called West Coast Live that I used to produce that his band box set would play on. So when he opened up Mississippi Studios, he wanted to do sort of a life on the Mississippi. Um, but we were both too new to town to uh to get anything going and then Kate Sokoloff who's um here in town she had had uh the idea also rolling and had had uh, a lot of it the uh, the elements more baked and so a mutual friend had introduced Kate and me um me and Kate had introduced me and Kate and um we met about it got so excited about it she had had no experience she had experience producing live shows um, and theater, but no experience producing radio. And I had produced West Coast Live for about four years down in the Bay Area. So we met and we were so excited and we merged co-producers and creators. And who knew 13 years later that we would uh, be doing this? I mean, I, I, I guess we knew, but it didn't. It's It's very interesting to look back. I think that we were so wonderfully naive back then that um, we just kept moving. We just kept moving and kept talking to people and everybody seemed like, felt like it was a great idea and we felt like it was a great idea and the media was great and the town was great. And and, and when, we were, when you were first talking about it, or even when you talk about it now, how do you explain it? Is, I mean, is it, is it a variety show? Is it a talk show? Is it a comedy show? Is it a music uh, show? Yes, and all of the above. It's very interesting because we, um, we've been going through a lot of work to try and figure that out. We're actually working on It's Late Night for radio. because it, And over the years, it's definitely changed and morphed. And it started as our tagline was variety for the ears, vaudeville for the mind. So it was a very harken back to old-time radio kind of we, we tried a puppet show we did a mime olympics when we first started and so the show has more because mime does really well in mime radio. was great it was one of the best segments ever yeah however we had um the, the we had people um as the it was the mime olympics so we had a couple of people as the um announcers they were the people who were uh doing the play-by-play so while live it was live the audience was you know our mime was in white face and suspenders and gloves but for the radio they had um the visuals of the color commentary of what was going on so actually that worked a whole lot better than the puppet show worked i'll tell you that um 
But so it's changed and morphed over time. Um, we've, within the last three years, have changed our host, and that has sort of naturally changed uh, the show a little bit. So now it is very much a late night for radio kind of genre. That's the, that's the genre we're sort of working in. We've got uh, a band. We have a host. We have guests. We do fun things with guests. We have an audience. And so it feels more like that. Um, it is variety in that it's it, there's a lot going on, but it's not variety in the in the spinning plates puppet show mime olympics kind of way anymore i i want to keep going down the road of explaining what the show is for for people who maybe haven't gone to it yet and or even for to think about from the inside out what it looks like can you give a pitch first to possible funder and then would you give a pitch to a possible audience member about what the show is and why it's important it's um, sure. It's almost the same pitch. It's almost the same pitch because it is this live show that we do in front of a theater. It is um, has all the elements of uh, like a late night show. Um, it's in front of a live audience. And then the bonus of it for us, for funders and for radio uh, listeners, is that it now goes out to 120 stations across the country and growing. So we're we're we, we consider ourselves one of the fastest growing radio shows. So that's the bonus for the funders. It's not just a live show, but it gets the, it's the bonus of it also gets out to almost 200,000 people in all across the country. Um, so for the live audience, it is a, it's a great experience because it's live. It's in the theater. You're being entertained. You're, you're being introduced um, to new music you didn't know you loved, to um, new authors, new filmmakers, new thought leaders. Um, so that, and that's always been what we've done. That that part of it is always, we used to have more sketch, or we used to have sketch comedy. The show is, is still quite entertaining and funny. It's just not, um, it's changed in that we don't do sketch comedy anymore. And you also, it's it's not a passive audience, or you've created so that it's not a passive audience. I mean, it, I, I, I certainly remember... Uh, and they do have to yell, it's live wire at the beginning. They do have it. They do have a job, for sure. And there yes. were haikus, and but those yep. those are gone? or those Haiku are... is gone, but we do audience cards. We do, we ask, we, we like to ask the audience a question uh, and survey the audience. We like to bring the audience into what we do. So, and at the end of the show, um, this last season, Luke came through the audience and asked people what they learned in the last hour. So we've played with that. Uh, we're looking to play with something where he just sort of does a Q and A or he goes through the audience and, uh, whatever, if people just have a question or want him to solve a problem or whatever it is, it, it sort of, uh, morphs and changes, uh, based on if or how well it works, but we always that live that live audience is such a big uh, element to not only the live show, but it's really a big element to the radio show as well. Yeah, and and I mean the tenor seems to have been consistent throughout, even though some of the uh, features have changed. But it's right. always been very upbeat. And, I agree. And your 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 mission statement um, says something about its uh, cultural relevancy. Uh, and funny don't need to be exclusive. Right, mutually exclusive. Was um, that an original statement? I mean, in, it or, wasn't. That or, came up. That came up a little later. But that you know that idea of right, we can in one show you can you know laugh, you can think, you can cry, you can you know in the same interview that could possibly happen, and they can all sort of live side by side. Um, we talk in our mission statement about the intimacy of the theater and the power of the public airwaves. 
Um, and that's still very much, I mean, I mean, let's face it, live theater and live experience and live, I mean, I wouldn't even call us live theater. I would call us a live event and a live uh, experience because you get a lot of, you get music and you get interview and you get um, who knows what you, sometimes we don't even know what we're going to get, but you get that too. Um, so that's just that live event of sometimes we don't know what's going to happen and that's fun. And that's why, you know, that's the plug for the coming to the live shows is they're always so much fun. And we've got such great partners around town that you might get some, you know, some ice cream or you might get some, you know, might get a tasting of something or who knows. But is it is it tricky though to essentially have two audiences? I mean, you have your live audience, which which is also largely draw, drawing from Portland, which right. has sometimes different sensibilities and and uh, uh, allowances of what they're they'll expect. And then you have your audience that's in 130 different cities. Yep. Is is that tricky to balance out about how conventional you need to be to play to them or? not well we when we started the show it was very much a live show that happened to also be a radio show we are almost 100 percent focused the other way around now we're 100 percent focused on it's a radio show and the live show is there essentially to service the radio show so um or we say that but then it turns out we be, because um we moved to a model recently where we tape one show at a time and we tape about 90 minutes so we get to choose our favorite 53 minutes and that's been really um gratifying and liberating because we can try all sorts of things and we can decide that it didn't work. And so for the live audience, that's great because they got to see it. Even if it was a train wreck, they got to see it. But it will never make the radio. So just that move alone, because we used to tape two shows back to back where really we only like taped maybe six or seven minutes more. And so we just could clean these things up. And so whatever happened in the live audience sort of had to get put on the air. Now, um, if this answers your question, now we get to put on whatever we what, what the best 53 minutes. And so... We, um, that services the radio show so much. Like that was one of our best, of all the changes we've made over the years, that was one of our best changes because we, we got to do that. And so, um, so because our radio audience is uh, so much bigger, I mean, we're talking four to 600 people in the live audience and we're talking, you know, almost 200,000 of the radio. It really has to be about. So, it's not a huge challenge at all, but it's it's fun, but it is it's a it's 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 pausing and remembering who we're really needing to hit. And not only that, it's, you know, the Portland sensibilities are one thing, but we're, you know, what about, you know, Greta in Chicago or, you know, Pittsburgh, someone in Pittsburgh or uh, Austin, Texas, which their sensibilities might not be too different, but we've got people in uh, Indianapolis and, you know, in some places and some other, you know, some small towns. So um, but we've been getting great feedback. So, and, you know, we'll keep doing it. Robin Tenenbaum is the executive producer for Live Wire Radio. How about uh, a, a song break and how about uh, from a band from the current season? Sure. Um Blind Pilot's coming up. They have a new album coming up, uh, or actually it's already released, so let's hear something from them. Fantastic. Panic in the first beat of the morning Even what I got isn't worth offering Even faces change Yeah. 
following behind Always a second slow oh, If I'm far away My hearing straight I'm the voice you want to know If you're just tuning in, you're listening to the Nonprofit Hour from the Media Institute for Social Change on X-Ray FM. To become a supporting member of the Media Institute and find out more about their work, you can visit mediamakingchange.org. Members receive annual benefits and support programs such as the Nonprofit Hour and their summer documentary program. We also invite you to join the Media Institute at Czar Studios on Sunday, October 2nd, for an evening of documentary film and radio screenings, live music from X-Ray FM DJ Bobby D, specialty drinks from Thomas & Sons, treats from Farina Bakery, and beer from Stormbreaker and Ex Novo Brewing. Find out more about the Gather 2016 event at mediamakingchange.org forward slash gather. The Nonprofit Hour is brought to you in part by generous support from the following underwriters. The Bend Film Festival, Bend's premier cultural event featuring this year's best independent films, ideas, music, and parties. A time to meet filmmakers and hear their stories. The Liberation takes place October 6th through 9th. More information and tickets are available at bendfilm.org. Masala Popcorn, locally made Indian spiced popcorn. And Livewire Radio. Don't miss their upcoming shows at the Alberta Rose Theatre on September 29th featuring Nicole Byer, Dr. Embriette Hyde, Misha Collins, and more. On October 13th, they've got Phoebe Robinson, Bill Oakley, and Blind Pilot, who we just heard a song from. Now we return back to our conversation with Livewire's executive producer, Robin Tenenbaum. Here's Phil Bussey. This is Phil Bussey. We are on the Nonprofit Hour, and I'm talking with Robin Tannenbaum, who is the executive producer for Livewire Radio. Before the break, we are talking about your two audiences. You you guys uh, record live and uh, often in Portland, but also on the road sometimes. 
Uh, and then you have a 200,000 person audience out there in 130 different yeah, radio stations. Yeah. How, how important is, is Portland in terms of the, the, the show, in terms of obviously something like Prairie Home Companion is, is so closely associated with, with Minnesota. Right. It's very important. Our, our host is actually from Bellingham. So it's really, Portland is very important. The region is almost more important, being a regional show. And as I mentioned earlier, um, Seattle is uh, our biggest audience or one of our biggest top three audiences. And so it's important that we incorporate um, Seattle and, and Washington as well. And so it's really the, the region, the Pacific Northwest, is really important to who we are as a show and the voice of our show. And I hope um, that comes through on the on the air is that we are this show from the Pacific Northwest and that, you know, people in other far reaches have have a interest in that. I mean, it seems like people have an interest in what's going on in the West Coast. Yeah, and, and I mean, obviously Portland has changed over the last 13 years that you guys have been on, on the air. And I mean, people talk a lot about old Portland or Portland 1.0. Yeah. Um, how much has that affected the show? Has, has the show changed because of Portland's changes? I think we're evolving along with the show. I mean, that's interesting that you say that because... Um, Certainly. I mean, I've been in Portland a little longer than the show has existed, and uh, it feels like a natural evolution, actually. I feel like um, we have evolved with it. We try to feature people here who are doing cool things and making, uh, writing books for uh, leading companies, and we're trying, we, we try and um, have it. We've always wanted to make the show be from Portland, but not about Portland. So there's it's sort of it's an important distinction for us. And now, you know, from the region, not about the region. And I think with our host, with Luke being from Bellingham, it sort of spreads that whole idea out a little bit. Yeah, let's let's talk about Luke Burbank a little bit. Shall we? <laughs> <laughs> so this is his third season as as the host. Yep, uh, 2013. Yeah, or it's, uh, third year. Yeah. How much has that changed? I mean, you obviously have a lot of the elements of the show that are already in place. Uh, how much did it change having a new quarterback or a new person right. as the focus, or did the show? Uh, also, also an evolution. Um, that was also an evolution. He came when he came to the show. He sort of already had that uh, radio background and even the public radio background. He'd worked uh, for NPR for many years, and he worked on a lot of public for a lot of public stations over the years. Uh, so we already, he already came with that. So he already had some of the things that were already sort of baked into his DNA, uh, just about the clock and about the pacing and about the way the, the show moves anyway. And then as an interviewer, um, he's also, I think he's actually really grown in nice ways as an interviewer. I think there was a time, uh, I mean, it was funny because the way he became host was such an uh kind of interesting and funny way, which we, uh, our, our other host, uh, Courtney Hommeister, the night before the show, couldn't do it. And Luke was booked for the show that she, that, for that show that next day, which was sold out. And we had booked him because he has this successful podcast and we wanted to talk to him about that. But we also booked him in case someday we might need a backup host. He didn't know that at the time. But when Courtney uh, couldn't do the show last minute, we had called and uh, I called Luke 
and couldn't get him, uh, didn't reach him until 11 o'clock in the morning of the day of the show. And uh, with, uh, I knew at that moment he had an advanced sense of adventure because he said, sure, I'll host. <laughs> hadn't heard the show, hadn't, you know, the script was already done. Um, we just directed sort of here, can you talk, you know, he, he sort of pulled together a monologue on the drive down from Seattle. And he uh, did this show sort of sight unseen. And um, it was really... Uh, it, it was not only great for us in that he could he could fill in and it, and he did really well, but I think he realized that it was a perfect place for him because he got this immediate um, sort of approval from a live audience, which is what you get because he's a funny person. And so he got that and he just, you know, he thought he knew it was the right thing for him. And so I think at the beginning, there was a point at which I think it was more about the getting the laugh, and I think he settled into his chair a little bit more, and now he knows that there, um, even the silence in between, uh, that's so meaningful as well. And so he's given himself sort of more permission to, to sort of accept the silence as well as the laughter. Uh, so he's uh, grown in that. And and the change from a from from Courtney to to Luke from a girl to a boy <laughs> from a girl to a boy. I does, I, how much does that does that change um, the tenor? I mean, I loved you know Courtney was great, and she uh, I love having a woman host. You know, there's not a lot of shows out there. There's getting to be more, but um, it does. It definitely changes the tenor. It was a gradual change because Courtney stayed on as our head writer. Um, for a long time, and so um, she no longer, by her choice, by the way, was uh, no longer host, but she got um, her creative input through being a head writer. And so the whole sort of switchover happened in a more gradual way because the show's very much still had her her voice in it. And so now this is really the first year... um, where she's she has a book deal, she's writing a book, and now Luke has really taken on sort of the artistic direction of the show, um, and we have one season, uh, you know, as history to to see to really measure that how it's changed, and I'm not quite sure we have enough data yet, or if it has changed. And and I I want to talk a little bit more about just the business of radio because so Luke Luke Burbank shows up uh, now and again on Wait Wait Don't Tell Me, mm-hmm. which is an incredibly right. popular show. Great. Yeah, how much does that help with cross pollination? It's a great. I mean, because as soon as Peter Sagal introduces him as the host of Livewire, that's their five million listeners wondering what Livewire maybe, and so it helps. It helps a great deal. Um, any amount of promotion in any way, shape, or form helps a great deal. So, um, and he enjoys doing that. He de- he gets to do it probably six times a year or so. Yeah, I sometimes consider us a little bit of the the spinoff of of Wait Wait. I know that might be a little grandiose, but it feels a little like you know with Luke being a frequent panelist and you know Peter's been a guest a few times and just sort of the humor it just feels like they could they just could live side by side pretty easily the two shows yeah and and, and it feels like radio is going through quite a renaissance mhm and especially public radio public radio especially now there's a lot of movement more than i've seen in a long time with Garrison Keeler's retirement with um a show called um what do you know out of Wisconsin um, having after 30 years, they took that off the air. There's uh, public radio does not move quickly and never has, and people will just stay in their nice, comfy chairs and 
their radio stand, their nice, comfy radio dials. And the people behind public radio don't really seem to move that quickly. I have no idea. Car talk? What are you Car talk. Exactly. Exactly. Case in point right there. But that was also, I mean, kudos to Doug Berman, the executive producer there, because he found a way. He found a way to keep it alive and um, make it work and make it timeless and make it evergreen as, as, a, as a radio tour and, and, and make it so that a lot of the new and I was told recently by a, a program director that it's still gaining audience. And so, I mean, other than like the talk of 1972 Dotsons, you know, it's it's a fairly timeless show. Um, they did recently announce that it will it's going to go off the air um, at uh, some point next year, late next year. And and so do you, I mean do you do you feel like the the uh, understudy that's been waiting for the 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 the, yes. the older generation to uh, <laughs> do. bow off and a um, little bit I mean I've always believed that we can all coexist but because nothing moves very quickly and now these stations are forced I mean they now have holes in their schedules and not to say we're the only you know show the only show to fill their holes because there are some other shows out there and some other good shows out there um at least there's movement and at least people are are forced to think about different things now um with garrison keeler's show it's got chris Thiele as part of and that's going to be a whole new i mean i'm really anxious to see where that goes and um he's great we had him on a guest re- as a guest recently and he's terrific and so i wish I wish them the best for sure. I just think it's a completely different show. It's not, you know, most of the people who listen to Prairie Home Companion have this long time love affair with Garrison Keillor or it just warms there. They grew up with it and it just, it, it strikes just something deep within them that they just love so much. And I don't think that's, I don't think there's an ability to capture that and keep that going with a different host i think that it's a very host that show is very host driven and and interestingly a host that's from portland i know i know i mean does, I, I does, know. does that does that make live wire and, <laughs> well and it's from on? portland but he's still going to minneapolis to to, to do the show so uh guys, yeah i don't know you guys seem like you're kissing cousins a little bit and i hope so again i you know i just want to i want everyone to play in the same sandbox i don't i'm not really you know i just think as we, you know, we're sort of all categorized as the weekend programming, the weekend entertainment programming. I just feel like we all just sort of can follow and lead up to one another. So, so I'm good with that. So I, re- I wish that show and Chris the best. I and I can't wait. And he's got some, you know, great connects with some amazing music. And it's just, it's just as I said, it's like a different show. So all the older people who love Garrison may not really be up for hearing the music that. Chris brings on. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. He's a delightful guy and has all the reverence in the world for uh, Garrison Keillor. So I'm I'm excited. I, I I'm excited to to see what it's where it's going to go. And, and outside of the 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 shuffling at at public radio and or a little bit more expansive than that, podcasts have obviously become incredibly mm-hmm. popular. I mean, Reveal two years ago mm-hmm. becoming the first to have a million uh, followers. It, does the rising tide lift you guys up as well? Do you feel anything from this yeah, rising popularity? We're, you know, honestly, that's sort of a, a, a struggle for us still. I mean, there's so much. There's so many things out there. And, you know, we've toyed with whether the, our podcast is a direct mirror of our radio show or if it's something different. And we've played around with different things. And honestly, we're still searching for the secret sauce to that and whether or not, you know, is it a race 
to the millionth listener on that or there's so much good content out there so um that's a that's continues to be a work in progress and and luke has found with uh his podcast too beautiful to live tptl um he has just i mean not only does he have what a million or two million down you know listeners a month um they're engaged. They're they are. They, he has exactly what I think all podcasters want to have, which are many of them and people who are super engaged with them. I mean, he'll go to a city and do a meetup, and he'll fill a room, and it's impressive. And it's you know he sits and talks and has his podcast with his this other guy Andrew Walsh, and they talk about the day's events and what's going on in their lives, and and people are love it. And so it's he's found it. Um, yeah, I think and hope with the popularity of the radio show will come more of the popularity of the podcast. Um, but I also realize that there's also something else out there we might not have thought of yet that will sort of propel the podcast into into the world a little bit more. We're talking with Robin Tannenbaum, who is executive producer for Livewire Radio. Let's uh, let's pull another song from one of the bands in the current season. Um, let's think about that. Uh, Blitz and Trapper is, uh, coming up as well. Another, they have a new record, uh, out, I believe, or just out. So let's hear from them. Great. I'm going back to my hometown. Gonna sit right down, take a look around. Tall trees talking all along the shore. Where the wood meets the river at the forest floor The grass hangs heavy off the low rain The wise dog wanders through the coming grain But does a true heart change or does it stay the same? Think I'll go on back to from where I came We are talking with Robin Tannenbaum on the Nonprofit Hour. Why are you guys a nonprofit? <laughs> Why aren't we a nonprofit? Um, we're living hand to mouth. Why are we not? Why, we are... Uh, we're not making profit? No. Um, we started actually as a for-profit and then real, quickly realized that we are not, um, in terms of being in Portland, Oregon, we're not that different from a lot of the um, arts, other arts organizations. And we wanted um, to open up the funding streams for us and thought that it, it felt very much in line to grants, uh, to be able to receive grants and individual donors, uh, donations. And, um, so, uh, yeah, so we still, we get support from some corporations as well. And, um, corporations can choose whether it's part of a marketing budget or even one of, you know, part of a giving part of their giving campaign because we're a nonprofit. So, um, we are a nonprofit. We very much, yeah, and um, we we live uh, we live like a nonprofit for be- for better for worse, I suppose. Um, um, and is it, is it tricky being a nonprofit that's a creative endeavor in that you have a board of directors, right, and who are obviously there to to support you, but but sometimes can also be there to meddle. Uh, um, yeah. Do, do they ever step in and say, oh, you know who would be a great guest or what would be really funny? Like, I know funny and this should well, be on the show. Well, everybody likes to do that and we welcome that. Um, we've had a lot of different type boards of directors over the years and um, generally they know that that um, it's not really their job for to be part of the editorial. It's more about 
um, the organization to help really lead the organization. So we welcome, yeah, anybody who wants to uh, recommend or even work in sort of an advisory, but in terms of like a veto right kind of thing, we've never had that issue, never had that, that problem. I mean, being a nonprofit arts organization, I think is really the challenge. I think um, we know we know that arts organizations uh, make all the difference to to forming a community. Um, it's not that cut and dry to uh, people who give. They buy their ticket and consider that might be it. And it's not, you know, we're not saving lives. We're not curing cancer. We're not doing things that, you know, we all agree are are really worthy of putting, um, you know, our, our money towards. Uh, and yet we're this arts organization where we put on a radio show and we entertain people and we go out to the country and we give Portland a voice and we give the region a voice. Um, but it's a bit of a tougher sell. It just it just is. I want to step away from the organization just for a little bit and talk a little bit more about you and um, growing up or were you interested <laughs> in stage? Were you interested in radio? Uh, growing up, I did my fair share of, uh, of, uh, community theater. I, uh, I was in Fiddler on the Roof and Bye Bye Birdie, and I did my, my fair share. But I think that I was always destined to be behind the scenes. Um, I'm kind of shy. I get, I'm definitely shy. And I, I like, um, I love to orchestrate the madness of the artists and the creators, and um, the people who are on stage or um, playing music, or I, you know, one of my earliest influences out out of college, um, I was um, when I moved to San Francisco. I, I um, was uh, Bill Graham, was a, a rock promoter who uh, died way too young in a helicopter crash. But um, and I got to work with his company about eight months after he died, and I was in the archives department and my job was to essentially make a separate Bill Graham library of all of his belongings and photos and audio and scrapbooks and things. So I got to know this man uh, through through his photos and through all of that, those elements. And it was just, um, he was so uh, instrumental in uh, creating the rock music scene in San Francisco and putting acts together that uh, might not really look like they go together, but they would, you know, he would put a Grateful Dead show on, but then he would book uh, a crazy like jazz artist with him as a way to, you know, say to the kids who were coming, this is somebody you should know about. I know you're here for the Grateful Dead, but but here's somebody that you should really also know about. And so that that sort of has put an imprint for me on my life in the way that I um, in what I want to do in terms of live events. And it's really in producing Live Wire has been sort of a guiding force in the way we book the show. Um, but so I always knew that that I wanted to do more of that sort of thing. Can, can, can I just put a, throw this out in the sort of stab in the dark here? Was Kermit the Frog any, anyone <laughs> that? Because it seems like you really play the role of Kermit, Kermit behind the scenes, <laughs> orchestrating the madness. For a variety no, but show, I, that might, yeah. But actually, right, that's probably not too far off. I guess, I, yeah. I never really, I never really thought that I had that that much in common with Kermit the Frog. But I'm delighted that I do. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's just uh, let's let's uh, round this out and talk talk about the upcoming season. Um, well, let's let's talk one more reflection, and then we'll talk about the upcoming season. Can you share, like, you used the word earlier, train wreck. 
Um, <laughs> is there is there a particular train, train wreck that you remember uh, that would be fun to share? Um, you know, Courtney just reminded me of one because she's adding it to her book. We had a guy who makes champagne uh, down in the in, there's there's definitely been their fair share. Fortunately, not uh, not that many. Um, that puppet show, as I mentioned, was one of them um, early, early on. But Courtney had reminded me of of one where we had a guy who made champagne who came on the show uh, who wanted to talk about anything but champagne. Like he, he Courtney was right on with her questions and um, we really wanted to get to the heart of like what his craft was. And he was just wouldn't have it. He just wouldn't have it. And the audience was sort of, you could hear the rough, the rustle of the audience being like, what is going on? And it was just so crazy obvious that she would ask a question and he, it was almost like he wasn't even in the interview. He would just <laughs> answer with just a thought that came to him. So, um, but even with the train wrecks, you know, and again, they don't necessarily, although I think that one, made it to the live show and we do what we you know even sometimes we can edit things up to make them not quite so much of a train wreck but um but sometimes they just have to be a train wreck and the and and the visual part of it you know it's hard to know whether or not how it's going to come across in the radio but definitely in the audience people were right right there with them and wondering what the heck was going on um who, but that one comes to mind who, who are some of the guests that are coming up? And, and I guess more broadly, what sort of people are you trying to bring on the show? Well, we, like all of public radio, are really trying to diversify our audience um, We and diversify our guests. Um, and that's to say, you know, you know, you know, culturally, racially, um, in all in all ways, really and trying um, people who will appeal to the younger, the older, you know, the white, the black, the... Well, we're trying to diversify our audience, um, like all of public radio is trying to do and wanting to do. We really want to do this. Um, and we want to keep producing shows that... One of my favorite things about what we do is you may come for somebody who you've heard of. You may... People who come to the show will buy their ticket because they heard of or they know they're a fan of somebody but then in the course of the show they'll actually their their highlight they will take home their highlight will either be the musical guest or the other interview that we did with the lesser known person that they didn't know and so that's I like to put shows together like that I like to put shows together um I'm excited to have Phoebe Robinson, who does uh, the podcast. We were talking about podcasts earlier, uh, Two Dope Queens, uh, with Jessica Williams. So excited about her in that because she's doing this great thing that has just, uh, it, it seems like it's just taking uh, the podcast world by storm. So excited to hear from her. Um, we just, uh, the Radio Lab guys will be on our New York show. Um, we just booked Jonathan Saffron Foyer, who again, um, you know, maybe not, not exactly the diversified, but it's, he's just, he's somebody who be really interesting to hear from Bruce Campbell, who is, um, B movie actor. Uh, and also this woman actually, uh, Embriette Hyde, she's coming from San, uh, San Diego from the American Gut Project. And she's going to talk, uh, we're interviewing her about her work. Um, with all that, what, you know, how, what goes on in our gut affects everything else about our mind, our skin, our moods. Um, so that's kind of interesting too, that, that, you know, 
it, it won't be a it I, I guarantee it won't be this super scientific interview, but it'll be an interview that people will remember um, and will get something out of because you know, it'll be entertaining and informative. It sounds like a great season coming up. Just, I'm sure I've missed many of, <laughs> of who we've got up. So just livewireradio.org. That's where all the up to up to the minute information will reside. Absolutely. And, and I've, I've, um, thank you for all the work that you've done over the thank years. You. I, I have, I've you. gone to... I could probably say dozens mm-hmm. of shows, and, mm-hmm. and they're always really enjoyable Thank you. Uh, to be part of. Um, royalty. <laughs> <laughs> say it. Just say it. Say it. Say it. <laughs> <laughs> that's the first time that's ever happened. He was going to say Royal Tenenbaum. It is spelled the same way. Robin Tenenbaum is... <laughs> <laughs> Robin Tannenbaum is executive producer for Livewire Radio. And how about one more song to take us out? Oh, let's hear from Blossom. We had Blossom on last season, and we will definitely have her back. And she is uh, fantastic in taking uh, the hip-hop scene um, locally and nationally by storm. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. I got the fire. I'll be the one to take you higher. Pull all the stops and tantalize your true desire. I'm sorry, babe, there ain't a thing I can't inspire. Why you questioning me? There's nothing that I can't be. I'm the reason that the ocean moves in fluid motion. The sun tends to set at the beat of my step. I'm a lady with class, but you gon' get this sass. And you could take this sass, and you could kiss my... I'm the lyric and the melody Come get with me and we can make the perfect harmony Come get with me and we can make the perfect harmony Boy, I can take you to places that you've never seen Let me know you could ride it Come get with me, let me know you should try it Baby, don't waste it, go ahead and embrace it Boy, I can take you to places that you've never seen Let me know you could ride it Come get with me, let me know you should try it summer, the Media Institute for Social Change hosts a summer documentary program with 12 students from colleges across the country. Their first task is to produce a short radio piece on a nonprofit organization in Portland. Kate Johnson was a student in this year's summer documentary program. She majored in anthropology at Reed College and graduated last spring. Kate brings us this piece on The Red Door Project. Don't shoot! Hands up! Don't shoot! Hands up! Don't shoot! Hands up! Don't shoot! Seven Playwrights, Seven Testaments. Commissioned by the new Black Fest, a theater movement based out of Brooklyn, Hands Up showcases monologues by black playwrights in the wake of Ferguson. Hands Up, as we have seen in recent news, continues to be as urgent as ever. Specifically urgent, it seems, in a place like Portland, Oregon. Portland is about 80% white. African Americans are just 6% of the population, but they are shot, shot at, or die in custody at five times the rate they would if it were proportional. The August Wilson Red Door Projects seeks to change the racial ecology of Portland through the arts, including showcasing hands up. 
You might be thinking, in such a time of urgency, what can a theater show do? These monologues are powerful, emotionally moving, but also there's a talk back after each performance. We'd like to open up the room now for people to share what you talked about in your conversations or anything else that came up for you. These talkbacks are post-show discussions where the audience can share feelings, experiences, ask questions. I spoke with Joseph Gibson, one of the local Portland actors who performs two monologues in the show. His voice was hoarse. Joseph was one of hundreds of Portlanders who had marched from Pioneer Square just two days prior. He's been to a lot of talkbacks like this. And so, yeah, these, these uh, monologues we do, the reason why people are um, connecting with it so is that you... Uh, don't hear black people talk about uh, these issues so unabashedly. During this talk back, one performer challenged the room with a question. Did you feel differently about the white police officers who were killed versus the two black men? Ask yourself that question. One woman, who was white, felt compelled to answer. I was able to speak with her after the talk back. I think when Tony was saying that, did you feel differently when the white officers were shot, I did feel differently. But the only reason I felt differently was because that's the population I relate with in that my husband has the same job. I was just as horrified with the other killings, but all of a sudden it hit home to me. She was emotionally moved by the show, and from her perspective, everyone should see it, especially cops. But white people, myself included, when we're made aware of things that we don't experience directly, it's so important to think about your position in all of this. But I think the other part of that was it made me realize I felt that on that night. This is what some people in this room feel all the time. In that same moment after the talk back, the wife of the police officer thanked actor Joseph Gibson as he passed by. Hey, it's not about sorry, it's just about like us understanding and like helping each other. But yeah, we can talk about it and I can empathize because we're both human and I can meet you on a level like, I can imagine what it would be. I know what fear feels like. Joseph told her to thank her husband for his service, and the two started talking about his concern with being targeted because of his uniform. To know that a cop is just as scared as I am is scary. That's when she articulates her revelation, that he can take off his uniform, but Joseph cannot change the color of his skin. Joseph talks about how it can be difficult in the talk back to really get the point across, to really make this transformation happen. Uh, I think a lot of times when white people see, or what I've noticed is that they uh, tend to distance themselves away from it. Like, they, um, they raise their hands and they'll talk about things that they've done in the community or things that they feel like they've um, accomplished or helped out. And, and, you know, in my head sometimes I'm thinking, that's great, you know, I'm so glad that you were there for, um, you know, black youth and all the things that you've done, but we're not really talking about that right now. It'd be easier and uh, better for everybody involved if you talked about the things that were hard, that you're not so sure about, that you didn't do. I I have those things too, and I think it's important as a human being to process those things that, that are gray areas in your life.
And that's really just the first step. I think we need to create more and more talkbacks like this, and I think they need to be in smaller settings where there's 8 to 12 people where we can really share experiences and share ideas and share feelings in safe environments. <laughs> it's kind of like we come, and these people who come to see it are, are putting themselves out there, and they're taking that first step, and then, you know, we're kind of like helping them along to the next step, you know, actually like talking about it and stuff. That's why I think these things are important because otherwise I, I don't know if we would have these conversations, you know. <laughs> While things don't get resolved in a night, there is no magic resolution or easy way out. Would these conversations even be happening, let alone between these two people? And that's what I think theater can do. We've now come to the end of this week's Nonprofit Hour show. Once more, we'd like to invite you to join the Media Institute at Czar Studios on Sunday, October 2nd for an evening of documentary film and radio screenings, live music from X-Ray FM DJ Bobby D, specialty drinks from Thomas & Sons, treats from Farina Bakery and beer from Stormbreaker and Ex Novo Brewing. To find out more about the Gather 2016 event, go to mediamakingchange.org forward slash gather. Today's show has been produced by Lindsay Smith with assistance as well as recording and editing by myself, Jason Dennington, and is recorded at the production studios of X-Ray FM. You can follow us on Facebook or via our Twitter handle, at Nonprofit Hour, and find archives of past shows on our SoundCloud page or free podcasts on the Apple iTunes Store. If you'd like to make a comment or suggestion about an organization we should profile on a future show, please send an email to nph at mediamakingchange.org. We'd like to thank our guest on the show this week, Robin Tenenbaum of Livewire Radio. The opening monologue segment from Livewire host Luke Burbank and summer documentary program graduate Kate Johnson for her audio documentary piece on The Red Door Project. We'd also like to thank the Media Institute for Social Change, our host Phil Bussey, KXRY Radio, X-Ray FM, and you, our regular listeners. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you have a great week, and join us again next week at noon on Monday for the Nonprofit Hour Show. Thank you.